You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford. I am joined by Gene Henley once again. I want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the show. If this is your first time listening, thank you all so much. Hope you return. If you want to subscribe to the show after listening to it, you can find us everywhere podcasts are found. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're there. So go find us today. You can also find us on social media at VolHoopsFever on Twitter. Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. And before we get started here, I want to give a huge thank you to all of you out there who have supported the show. We have now surpassed a thousand likes on the Facebook page. So thank you all so much. I think well over 650 followers on Twitter as well. So the Facebook obviously a little bit bigger. But regardless, I mean, that that just shows the the support you guys have given. So I, I am very thankful for you, for you guys to do that. And our, our listening numbers continue to grow and, and hit a steady number and I'm very appreciative of that so please share the show with a friend with a family member with someone who's a Vol fan a Lady Vol fan uh, just likes college basketball men's and women's in general because we're talking a lot this year about both the men's and women's basketball programs at the University of Tennessee the season Gene is less than a month away for both squads very excited about that very excited for both these seasons for these teams before we kind of get into some talk about the current teams here I want to look at some former players, uh, specifically here with the Lady Vols, because the big news is Candace Parker and Diamond of Shields, but obviously Candace Parker gets the biggest amount of attention because she is one of the most, I guess, one of the most famous, probably, I mean, with, with the way the internet is and, and, and kind of the birth of that, she might be the most talked about Lady Vol uh, of all time, just because of the era she played in and with the, you know, social media and stuff getting blown up the way it is now. But Candace Parker and Diamond DeShields are playing in the WNBA Finals. Candace Parker looking to win another title. She has had a resurgent year this year, Gene, in a year where, you know, she moved, she goes to Chicago from LA. A lot of people, I, say, I guess it made a lot of people, but there were people writing her off and saying that, you know, hey, she's, you know, I wouldn't say maybe on the climb, but that the fact that, you know, she was looked over, passed over by the the, <laughs> the national team by Gina Oriyama, which that's a whole other discussion to get into as well. You know, a lot of people were thinking, hey, you know, maybe her prime is behind her. Well, she goes out, and she's a huge reason why the Sky have had this, this season they've had and have gotten as far as they are. And now, Gene, she is playing for a title. She is, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, is it a best of, of two of three in the WNBA Finals or is it three of five? Because I'm trying to remember which one it is now. Regardless, she's playing for a title right now with the Sky and playing against Dinah Taurasi, which, again, <laughs> that's great. It's just the, 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 the stories write themselves when that happens, when you have a Lady Vol legend and a UConn legend playing against each other in a title game. Chicago, Chicago won the first game with weekend. I did watch the majority of that game. As we're recording this, Gene, on Wednesday night, the game two is going to tip off here, uh, here just a little bit as we're recording this. So as you are listening to this, game two will have been in the books probably, and, and you'll know the result. But still, want to wish Candace Parker and Diamond Shields best of luck. And, and Gene, it's it's just to me, it's really awesome to see Candace get the attention this year that she has. You, you see her get on multiple magazine covers. The fact that you know she's not just a player; she's been on what is it TNT? She's she does an excellent job as an NBA commentator. I mean, she she truly is is the best of both worlds in terms of a personality on camera and a player on the court and. I just think, you know, we haven't talked about her a ton on this podcast, but I think you, you go into social media and if you see if it's a conversation about Lady Vols that isn't the current team, it's usually about Candace Parker, and she is one of the most beloved Lady Vol players probably ever, I'd have to say, and um, I, I genuinely hope she gets to bring home another title, especially for being Chicago, that's where she's from. It's also really cool seeing all these post-game interviews. Every single time it feels like you, you see her do a post-game interview after a win, she's giving some sort of credit or, you know, giving some sort of shout out to Pat Summit, you know, obviously the, the one on last week when they advanced to the finals and she got very emotional talking to Holly Rowe about Pat and giving her credit for being to where she is now. I just, you know, Candace Parker to me is just 
always been one of my favorite UT athletes, and I, I've always loved seeing her have success, and I, I love seeing this resurgence of her this year. So, you know, to tell the story of Candace Parker, I mean, it it didn't it didn't even really start like with what she did, you know, in in so many games playing for the Lady Balls. Um, it actually started when she dunked on Ron Childress in practice. <laughs> Uh, that you know, like early, early in her career, and, and I think she was a freshman when that happened. Um, you know, obviously when she was she was dunking at the McDonald's Hall American game, so you kind of knew who she was. She's going to Tennessee. You know, you're, I remember. I think I was in my early twenties at the time, and she's being compared to Shamika Holdsclaw, who was like had that same versatile aspect of her game at, at that time, and. You know, and, and so like when you then you hear that she about the whole thing about her dunking on Childress, and you're like, okay, uh, wow. And, and so then you look and like her career, it, it's just interesting watching how her career arc is kind of gone. I mean, like now you're seeing this, like the resurgence is everywhere. Like when they're, you know, I, I see I see Derrick Rose and all the other Adidas athletes doing, you know. From you know, from you know, promoing her mm-hmm. for commercials, um, you know she's on. You know, I think TNT is wise in that they look and see that maybe the um, as good as the show as the show is with Shaq and um, Barkley and Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson. I think they're realizing that man, maybe we need to, you know, change this up a little bit. So you keep Shaq. You've got Candace Parker, who's an amazing analyst. I think if people saw the thing where she was going back and forth with Shaq a few times uh, the, during the season, you're like, oh, it's not. This isn't just we're just going to put you know a, put a woman up there. No, she's she's qualified. She's overqualified. I mean, she gives maybe the best analysis on that show. You've got you know Dwayne Wade, and then I think you've got Adam Lefko, I believe, is the host. Um, and and you're, you're, you see that aspect. You realize, well, I mean, Candace is 35 years old. She can't have anything up on the basketball court, right? And then you look and see what she's done this year. Going back to her hometown, she's been really, she's been really, really good for that team. Um, it, you know, I, I didn't answer your question because I was letting you finish, but it is best of five. Uh, it's best of Thanks. five series. And, um, and, and so to see... The excitement. I think there's just sometimes, and a lot for a lot of people, there's an excitement in going home. Uh, it happened with LeBron. Uh, it's happened with so many. I mean, I don't even think Russell Westbrook's all that great of a basketball player anymore. Uh, I kind of think there's some accumulator stuff going on with him. But I do think, I mean, he's an exciting player at the very least. And I see his excitement in talking about being back in LA. So many, you know, so many players. And so that's kind of where she's at. I think it's almost like she's. She's found herself, maybe even more so, and I think it's a credit to just who she is. I mean, like she's still, regardless of the TNT stuff and all that stuff, you forget that she's one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time. I mean, if you look at the totality of her career from high school to college to the Sparks to the Sky, I mean, you see everything that's kind of transpired with her. Like, she deserves her flowers right now. Like, she deserves to have her moment. Uh, and you know, capping this thing off with a championship would be would be huge. And I understand. I'll, I know that you mentioned the Shields as well, but um, I, I mean, this to me, this is all about Parker. And like, she deserves all of this. I, I mean, she deserves all the acclaim. Kind of the whole like, you know, y'all kind of forgot about me. Y'all kind of wrote me off. And she's proven a lot of people wrong there. So I mean, you know, congratulations to you know making it this far, regardless. Um, it's now a best of four series. I mean, you, you just need to win two of them, and you take you, you take care of that, and you can kind of go out whenever the time comes for you to you know to go out. You can go out the way you want, and potentially as a what like I don't remember, but I want to say she's like a three. I know she's won a title. Uh, I just can't remember exactly. Uh, this will be her second title. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so this will be her second title if they win it. Yeah. Yeah, and so she has an opportunity to 
to kind of go out in, in amazing fashion. Um, but if nothing else, she can, she, you know, her career in Chicago starts off with the championship, even if she has three or five more years to go. It just seems as though she has, she has so many different things going on that I wouldn't be stunned if it, if it was time. And, uh, I mean, heck, it's an amazing way to go, like, at the very least right now um, with where she's at. Yep, two-time WNBA MVP, six-time WNBA All-Star. She won the uh, Defensive Player of the Year last year for them. So, I mean, she's obviously an NBA champion. In that, in that year, they won the championship in 2016. She was also the Finals MVP. So she's uh, <laughs> been lauded for her offense, lauded for her defense. I mean, she she just, you know, there's not a whole lot that she doesn't do well. Rebounds exceptionally well. Of course, being, you know, 6'4", you, you tend to hope that she could do that. But she's, I, I remember watching the game one, and they're talking about the fact that you have a, a player of her caliber who's a six foot four forward who you feel comfortable actually being on the perimeter because it was a shot she made where she was out in the perimeter, they pump faked it, drove it to the basket, and they had a, a gorgeous fingertip layup. It's like it, you don't see that many players with the height that she has have that type of athleticism to where you trust her on the perimeter and then she can drive it to the basket and finish, you know, well at the basket. She she's I know it's it's obvious you know <laughs> you don't play in the in the professional leagues for over a decade like she has and not be you know might not be great but she's great I mean and, and she you know we saw it firsthand at, at Tennessee you know when they won the title with her in 2007 um, number one overall pick by the Sparks in 2008 draft I mean and she's just this very very special player uh, like you said it, it's really cool going back and looking at the beginning of her story basically at Tennessee Dunking on Ryan Childress. That <laughs> be interesting to get Ryan Childress here on the podcast and ask him about that. You know, that, yeah. you know who she is. Like to me, mm-hmm. like, her male equivalent. Her male equivalent to me, although she's considerably older than this player, would be Giannis. Like if you look at if you look at her skill set and just look at who she's been. Mm. Uh, I mean, like you start looking at her resume. I mean, she's two time MVP. Giannis is one time. She's a champion. So is he. Finals most valuable player. So is he. Defensive player of the year. So is he. You know, he certainly. You know, she's a five-time All-Star. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if she made it this year because they haven't updated it. Um, it says six time on Wikipedia, so I think so. Yeah, I'm looking at her WNBA page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's a fixture there. Like, and then you just look at. The skill set and the things that she did and the things that she does. I mean, like, she doesn't have a, like, to me, she doesn't have, like, a specific weakness. She's not the greatest shooter, but she can hit shots. So is Giannis. Uh, you know, you start looking at some of her, her stat lines. You know, I'm sitting here looking at just her most recent game 16 points, eight rebounds, three assists, two steals, two blocks. Doesn't foul much, um, mm-hmm. I, I, so that's so to me that's a perfect player comp um, for her because she affects the game in so many ways and uh, much like him. I think it's a really good comp actually. When you first said it, up my I raised my eyebrows, but I think that's actually a really good comparison because, like you said, that they, there's just so much that they do to affect the game and they're like I said their stat lines aren't dissimilar when you look at the you know the the ways they play in the, in the NBA and WNBA I think that's pretty fair um yeah but I, like you said I, I'm very excited for her right now and to see kind of you know how long her Chicago career does it's I don't I don't imagine she'll go anywhere else after she plays for the sky I think that'll be where she retires um you know I'd be interested to see how long she plays because I mean gosh how old is Diana Taurasi at this point she's um, what about forty? If she's not forty, she's thirty-nine. Yeah, she just turned thirty-nine over in, in June. So yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see if Candace plays another four years, another five years, and is still doing it the same way that Diana Taurasi is right now at almost forty. The, the the great athletes seem like they're ageless. I mean, look at Tom Brady. You look at Brett Favre played well into his late thirties and stuff too. A lot of these these really really good players they take care of themselves. They can last a while. So I'll be I'll be very interested to see how long Candace keeps playing uh, in the league. Staying on the Lady Vol side of things here, another uh, former Lady Vol here, not as, un- unfortunately, not as, as happy of an update on this one, but Nikki McCray-Pinson, uh, who was the 
head coach of the Mississippi State women's basketball program. It was announced on Tuesday that she has stepped down from her position effective immediately to focus on her health. The quote here in the release by Mississippi State uh, from Nikki McCray-Pinson, quote, over the past several weeks, I have been faced again with health concerns I had hoped were behind me. In light of these developments, I have decided to step away from coaching in order to devote my full time and energy to addressing those issues. Although I look forward to returning to coaching when I'm able, I believe this is the best decision for me and my family at this time. I appreciate the support MSU has shown me, and I'll be pulling for the team's success this season. So she'd been the head coach there for one year after Vic Schaefer moved on. And of course, Mississippi State had a ton of success under Vic Schaefer. They went to back-to-back national championship games, uh, made it to the Elite Eight in 2019. Of course, obviously, 2020, there was no uh, NCAA tournament. This past season with, with Nikki McCray Pinson as the head coach, they went 10-9, and nine, and Gene and I were talking before we record here. It seemed like, you know, we didn't follow Mississippi State as closely, you know, this past year or anything like that. Women's basketball, or, or men's basketball to be fair. Um, but it seemed like they had a lot of cancellations and postponements and stuff like that due to COVID. So, you know, their season just it didn't seem like it ever really could get going. It was kind of never in a rhythm. Um, as of right now, Doug Novak, who has served as Nikki McCray-Pinson's associate head coach, will be the ter- the team's head coach on an interim basis. Um, the MSU said they will conduct a national search before naming a new permanent head coach. So, Gene, uh, you know, don't know and don't want to speculate on what her health issues could possibly be here, but it, it is worth noting, obviously, that um, Nikki McCray is a breast cancer survivor from, if, I don't remember how long, but for a few years back. I knew I knew that, and then I saw uh, Maria Cornelius, who does an excellent job, obviously covering Lady Vols, tweet about that as well. That you know, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and just you know, this unfortunate timing news. So just you know, again, don't know what it is, but whatever it is, you know, I really hope that Nikki McCray Pinson can get you know back to being healthy, can get back to a normal lifestyle, and hopefully return back to coaching. It, it seems obviously to be her main goal. I hope she can get back to that. Even if she can't, I I hope that she can at least get back to a a normal life because I hate hearing stuff like this man I, I hate you know it's one thing to get for a coach to be fired it's one thing for a coach to step down due to personal reasons <coughs> or admire <coughs> but it's a totally different reason when it's a totally different kind of situation when it's health like this where you, it's it's out of your control you, you could not control this this isn't a decision that you could have made different this isn't a you know recruiting that you could have done differently coaching decision this is stuff that is out of your hands and I hate this, man. I, I really hope she can get healthy and get back to a normal life, but this is just, you know, definitely wanted to bring it up on the show, but I saw that news and I thought, man, that sucks. I, I have rooted for her to have success, and I know she was a name that got brought up. Um, it, it was more on the fringe, but kind of a name that got brought up for the Lady of All search when, you know, when they were looking to replace Holly Warlick. I, I didn't think she was ever a, a serious candidate, but she was a name that was out there, but still, man, like, I, I always root for the former Lady of Alls to have success, and uh, I was really hoping to see Nick McCray Pinson have success at MSU when they weren't playing Tennessee, but have success there and, and do well. But man, I, I, now I'm just hoping for her to, you know, live a healthy life. Yeah. And I kind of, kind of like with Candace, I mean, I want to make sure that, you know, Nikki McCray Pinson, you know, she kind of, she gets her flowers today. Uh, I mean, like you look at just who she was. I mean, she was, she was great. Uh, as a lady ball, I mean, she spent a lot of time in WNBA, uh, won a couple gold medals, made the you know, WNBA all-star teams a few times. Uh, she was a really good player, and she was really good at a time where the lady balls were extremely good. Like, they were 1 or 1A in terms of, like, the most important programs in the country. Uh like, I mean, depending on where you people want to put UConn, whatever. Um, and so, like, you look at just what she was as a player, like, that was that was amazing. Then, you know, obviously as a coach, she's been really good. She bounced around uh, a little bit there until she got on. She was really good at Old Dominion, which gave her the opportunity to get, um, you know, the Mississippi State job. And, you know, I, I say all that to say, I mean, like, she's been really good at what she does. And this is, I, I hate to say it in the past tense because I don't think she's done. But I, I did want to give her flowers there and say this is, like, you know, much respect to everything she's been able to accomplish. And you hope that she gets an opportunity to get back into coaching 
because like I mean like it's already you know I, I can't imagine how hard the past what 14 16 months or whatever mm-hmm. uh, have been since she took over as that as the head coach there I mean, you're taking over in the midst of COVID you're like this legendary coach has just left the school that you're taking over at and and like people are expecting that same level of success with you. You've got players that maybe didn't buy in fully to you because they actually came to play for somebody else. Um, that can be tough. I mean, that that can just be tough, man. And so I'd imagine that could be hard. And so you start looking around and you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to build this my way. And then you don't get that opportunity. And if I if there's one thing that I know 100 percent is that Pat Summit didn't go out and just find people who weren't grinders and competitors and fighters. And so you're not about to tell you were not, you were not about to tell Nikki McCray uh, Pinson that she wasn't going to be able to get the job done there. She was going to have to work a little harder to figure out the way that works best for her. And I, I hate that, like in the immediate. She's not going to get that opportunity, but I, I, I'm excited to see when she gets back to what she's able to do. Because, like I said, I don't think this is it for her. in coaching. I mean, I don't want to yeah. take a sound worse. I mean, I don't think this is the end of her coaching career. Yeah, and I hope not. Like you said, I, I, I don't. I don't think it will be either. Um, I'll be excited to see where she can end up and where she can go from here. Um, as long as she gets back to being healthy, which hopefully she will. Um, but yeah, that, that's obviously sending thoughts and prayers and everything to her and the family her family and everything as they deal with this and i know seeing a lot of you know obviously outpouring of love from uh, mississippi state fans but also a lot of outpouring of love and, and care from uh vol twitter and from lady vol fans and uh, just vol fans in general so that's always nice to see we can all kind of come together on things like that as well so just want to mention that here uh, uh before we kind of move into some current team news and current team uh i guess stuff here for the men's and women's basketball team at Tennessee mentioned earlier we are less than a month away now from the beginning of the season and Gene right now I've seen on on Twitter and just on social in general about the uh the men's team having pro day right now which it's usually you think of pro day for especially for football it's usually after the season uh I think football is usually when it is I think March if I remember or yeah late February March it's usually right before spring practices begin but right now pro day happening right now for on Rocky Top for the men's team here before the season begins and seeing different videos and stuff going on here and it got me to thinking Gene how many guys on this current Tennessee roster are going to be NBA draft picks you know not not just you know not just being drafted and, and then going and finding a you know a undrafted free agent deal but I want to know in your opinion how many of these guys actually get drafted into the NBA not you know not just you know, this year but next year year after that whatever but because I, I look at it and I think there are a couple obvious ones barring injury Kennedy Chandler Brendan Huntley Hatfield they're draft picks that's easy to me like that's that's no-brainer just barring some sort of injury those two guys are going to the league I think you look at a guy like Josiah Jordan James a former five-star I know you you and I both are huge Triple J fans probably a little bit higher on him than a lot of all fans are in general, but I think he's a guy that gets taken in the second round somewhere. You know, I, I don't, I don't think a, an NBA career is going to be easy for him. He's going to have to fight for it, but I think he has the skill set, especially defensively that teams are going to like what they see from him. and like his attitude and work ethic and his leadership skills. I think he's going to get drafted. So I, I think to me, there's two obvious ones. I think James is a, I would say fairly solid kind of third option, a third one that's, I'd look at this team right now. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of, if we're trying to guess everyone, there would be a lot of projecting because there's a lot of new faces on this team this year. But I, I, I look at a guy like uh, Victor Bailey Jr. You know, if he takes another step forward this year, is he a guy that gets drafted because he has that all-important ability to be able to drain threes. Um, he's a fairly versatile offensive player. He doesn't just hit threes. He can do a little bit more. Uh, defensively though not the greatest but defense in the NBA isn't what it used to be but it's still it's a thing that you know GMs and whatnot will key in on on a guy like you know that's one reason why Eve Pons is getting the opportunity he is with the Grizzlies because his defense is game changing sometimes if, if it's you know mix some of those highlight real blocks but you know I don't, I don't think Fulkerson's going to be an NBA player I don't think 
unless he really has a breakout year, I don't think Cam Wah is going to be a, an NBA player. Um, but what about a guy like Justin Powell? What about you know, this, is Santiago Vescovi? Does his lack of athleticism hurt him, or is the fact that he's a really good sharpshooter, three-pointer, three-point shooter, can he land somewhere in the NBA as a draft pick, or does he you know fall into kind of that you know, the undrafted free agent range? And I think obviously it's probably too early to look at guys like Andre Tamba, Jonas Adu, um, Zakai Ziegler, Quentin DeBonge. I think I think it's too early for them. Reason why I'm saying Chandler and Huntley Hatfield, yes, they're freshmen too, but those guys have more, especially Chandler, have a lot more one and done potential than those other guys I mentioned that are freshmen. So, and same thing for you know a guy like Jemai Meshack as well. But I'm curious who you think, Gene, because I think there's to me two easy ones, a third that I feel pretty confident in, that are you know on this roster right now. And then there is a lot of projection, but I think potentially looking at the rest of the roster, I think a guy like just if, if he stays healthy and, and kind of can kind of be what we saw in the 10 games he played at Auburn, a guy like Justin Powell, I think I would feel fairly confident in saying he, he could be a draft pick at some point. I think Victor Bailey could be a draft pick at some point. I would feel a little better about Viscovi if he was a little more gifted athletically. I think his defense has improved as well. I could see a team taking a flyer on him in the second round. I, I, it wouldn't shock me, but also think it definitely wouldn't shock me if he's an undrafted free agent. So, uh, I think three to four guys right now on this roster are NBA draft picks for Tennessee. And that's, if you rewind five, six, seven years ago to Tennessee basketball, that's not a sentence. It's not a sentence you say, that you've said very often in Tennessee's history of, of men's basketball, period. Just just to be honest. Like, there's there's not many eras of Tennessee basketball where you look at the roster and say, yeah, they've got three draft picks on that, that roster, whether it's this year or next year or whatever. That, that, that team has three draft picks on the roster. That's not been the case for a lot of Tennessee basketball team. So I think it's, that's worth noting right that right there, but I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it. You seem to have a better, in my opinion, you have a better handle on kind of what it takes to be an NBA player than I do. Yeah. Um, I think Huntley Hatfield is a, a pretty, a pretty safe bet um, right now. Cause I guess I'll look at it a little bit different because I look at it as, who has staying power in the NBA um, because the draft thing, I think it's good, but if you can't stay, I mean, then just hearing your name called on that night, like that's happened for a lot of people. That's true. And, and, and so like, I think Huntley Hatfield sight unseen has some of that staying power. Um, I think depending on development, I think Adu could have some of that too. Uh, I'm just uh, I'm trying to remember this. I think Justin Powell with his size and his playmaking ability, I, I think that he actually has some because the kid can shoot, and he's six six. He's two hundred pounds. I, I mean, he could fit really well as like I mean as whatever you want to call it. Uh, I mean, like, he, he he fits in very well as a versatile player at the next level because he showed it at Auburn. I think he could be a pretty good player at the NBA, at, at that NBA level. Um, I haven't mentioned Kennedy Chandler because I struggle to figure out what he is. He's obviously a point guard. Obviously. that's That goes without saying. But... While you were talking, I went and did a search of who are the shortest players in the NBA, and none of them are really names that really excite you. Like, Darius Garland was a lottery pick. Colin Sexton was a lottery pick. Those guys are 6'1". Um, and I, I guess Sexton has been good, uh, and Garland has been good. Like, I, I just start looking around... Um, and so I guess, like, I look at some of these names of guys, like Kyle Lowry is six foot. And I guess my question with Chandler, because I know the biggest knock on him right now is, does he have a consistent shot? Uh, that is going to determine exactly how good of a player he is and where he gets drafted. I'm looking at projections to have a mid to late first round. And I know that will frustrate some people because they think he's you know, number one point guard in the country. He's obviously a lottery pick. But if you can't shoot, you're not a lottery pick. Um, 
Where did Keon Johnson end up? Like ten, or did he fall? No, he ended up. He ended up falling out of the lottery. Uh, both both he and Springer were taken around the same time. Let me double check where. Yeah, and I think I know Springer was like in the twenties, and I think mm-hmm. uh, what's his face may have gone like the Keon was twenty first, and Springer was twenty eighth. So, in like Springer didn't have quite the explosiveness. But I mean, my God! I mean, but the good thing about those two kids—they they both kind of fit into. They landed in perfect situations uh, with the Sixers and the Clippers. Um, the Clippers won't need Keon Johnson to be anything for a while. He can kind of develop some of those skills. But he's six six. He's like six five with a forty eight inch vertical. Yeah, let's talk about freak yeah. athleticism. We, we talked about about that months ago. He's a he's about as freakish athletic as you can get. There are some tools there that you have. Like you can kind of slowly develop the shot. I noticed that Terrence Mann has got a contract extension with the Clippers, and so you see some of the player development stuff there. But man, at, at six feet tall, like you're you're talking about what Trey Young size and. You know, you know, Trey Young is six one. They, you know, interestingly enough, the Hawks also have Sharif Cooper and Lou Williams on the team. Um, but I, I think that ends up being almost treated as a demerit at that league because that's a big man. That's a that's a tall man's game. And and so I, I guess, like, if he develops and if he shows a consistent jump shot, then I could see Kennedy Chandler finding his way back up some of those draft boards but there's just so much there, there has to be some level of question because you're talking about a six foot point guard in a league where that's actually the if you want to say that he's the prototypical point guard guess what those are Chris Paul's the last one of those out there like I mean I don't know if he's necessarily if that's like the type of game that Kenny Chandler has I don't think he does but yeah, like Kennedy. I mean, Chris Paul is the last of a dying breed there, in terms of a, like the point guard. I mean, they're they're all at that league at that level. They're all Steph Curry's. They're all Trey Youngs. Who those two? You know, I get tired of people comparing those two because they don't play a lot. Uh, I mean, alike. You know, Trey Young is more Allen Iverson than anything else uh, because he's asked to do everything on his team, whereas. The Warriors play a different style, but that's neither here nor there. Um, like you're you're talking about a, I mean that's what guys going into the league they are now. Like they're they're playmakers, and I think you could find a good situation for a kid like that if he's if he's everything that's cracked up to be. But man, you look around the country, and you know there's usually some grand superlative for guys of that size. Like Davion Mitchell from Baylor was a lottery pick. And he's also called was his nickname is Off Night because of his <laughs> defensive abilities. Like he you know he's he was defensive player of the year in the country last year. And he obviously was really good. It was good enough offensively um to help Baylor, you know, basically walk through the national <laughs> like the the national tournament, so um, I, I'd say that those are probably the ones to me. I, I can't quite. I think you've got a guy like Powell, you've got a guy like James, who have some of the measurables. I kind of um, same thing with the do. He has the measurables that people will fall in love with, but where's the skill set? Where's the game at now? Um, so I, I would lean Huntley Hatfield and some of the same stuff still applies. Um, where's he at? Like, I think this is a conversation we can project now. I, I would like to, I, I wouldn't mind revisiting this conversation January, like pre-SEC play, because we would have had a chance to see how they fit in this team. And that, to me, shows a lot as to where they project going forward. I want to go back to what you're talking about with Kenny Chandler, and you talk about his height and stuff. I, I think those are very valid points, but it also reminded me of a point that when I talked with 
speaking of, of being small, uh, the guy Ziegler, when, when I talked about, uh, talked with the coaches of his high school, um, and they'd mentioned that something that they really liked about Rick Barnes was the fact that he's taken smaller guards and had success with them. And, I, and they made a really good point that you look at TJ Ford and DJ Augustine, both guys like Rick Barnes coached at Texas, obviously were very good in college. They, they they didn't have, you know, NBA all-star careers, but they had careers where they've hung around for a while. You know, DJ Augustine's still up there, actually. He's been there for, what, 13, 14 years in the NBA at this point. But TJ Ford had like a eight, nine, ten year NBA career as well. And, and that, I think that's, like you said, the, the that's obviously, they were a different era. They came out of the kind of mid to late 2000s. And obviously, again, Augustine's still playing. And he's, but he, and he's playing, actually, from this past year. He, I think he was hurt or something, I want to say. Um, possibly. He only played, I think, 20-ish games or so. If the stats, that land's correct here. But regardless, like, he's still playing, and he's not playing at the level he, you know, was earlier in his career, but he's still up there, and it's still doing things in the NBA. I think Kennedy Chandler could be a guy like that. I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that wows in the NBA. I think he's a guy that is going to have, from an accolade standpoint, a better college career than an NBA career but I think your point is very valid of the fact that he's maybe six foot maybe he's 5'11 depends on who's measuring at the time I'll be I'll be interested to see what he's he comes in at the uh the NBA combine when they measure him there but I, I think he's a guy that has the speed he has the he has the quickness that you want from a point guard and, and that, that Tennessee could utilize this year in this offense if he gets the right fit I think he could have a, a right fits just throughout his NBA career, I think he's a guy that can average, you know, anywhere between that 10 to 15 points per game. I don't ever expect him to be a guy in the NBA averaging 18, 19, 20 points a game and, and going out and getting a bunch of a bunch of double-doubles and triple-doubles triple, triple doubles and things like that, but he's a guy that I, I fully expect to have an NBA career that if he gets in the right place and stays healthy, you can have a lasting one, but I, I 100% agree with your, your assessment there, Gene, that his height is going to be an issue but, I, but again, I, I look at what Rick Barnes had success with in the past, those those shorter guards. And there, there's a place for them, but you definitely – it's not as much – nearly as much of a guarantee um, with those guys as it is, you know, like you mentioned, a, a guy who's like a, a six three six four point guard who has more – because I think what John Wall was like six five six six or something like that, and he – Obviously, he's been around. Um, what's his? What are his measurables? He is currently six. listed at six four. Yeah, he's, he's taller than that. But still, that's that's you know that's pretty good height for a point guard, six four, somewhere around there. But he's been in the NBA um, since twenty ten, so he's been up there for a, a, over a decade at this point, a, a five time All Star. So like that, that's more what you want typically from a point guard is that six three, six four, maybe six five type of range. But well, let me. I don't know. Let yeah, let go me ahead. Simply, yeah, and, and let me say this, like because uh, obviously. I think the kid will could have a great year for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Like let's be, let's be clear there. Like I, I think that he could be because there's always going to be a place for the lightning quick point guards in college. That's always going to be there because that's a different game than the NBA. Like you know the NBA that what they are like they'll go, uh, you know you go to the NBA and. and you know, prior to this year, and even this year, including you know, everybody marveled at how good Trey Young was, while also pointing out how that he was the worst defensive player in the league. Some of that was due to his height. Um, you know, I I watched what Sharif Cooper was in college. He was really good. You're talking about a five-star prospect coming out of high school, one of the top point guards in the country. He was the 48th pick in the draft. So, I mean, like, it's not to say that Kennedy Chandler could not be, like, he could not be drafted. But, like, I think that when, that's why I said I think the bigger question, you know, when we, we had the start of this conversation was, what is the staying power potential with some of these guys? Like, how good of a shooter, I look at, like, somebody like Jordan Bone, who was a really quick player. People could not stay in front of him. And he heard his name, 57. And now I understand he also had questions, you know, concerns. Also thought that he was as good of a point guard as there was in the country um, that year, his last year at Tennessee. And, you know, so you, so you look around and you're just thinking, man, like it, there's 
it's it sucks. It, it stinks that you're talking about a kid like Kennedy Chandler who is the number one point guard in America, and like you're you're talking about Sharif Cooper who was what number. I know he was a five star prospect. I mean, mm-hmm. easily one of the top three to five or whatever point guards in the country, if not number one. Yeah, let me, let me check that really quick. I know who I'm sitting here. I, I didn't find the. I didn't look up the individual things, but I found his. Wicked. Yeah, he was a he was a five star in two or seven. He was a top five point guard in the country. Yeah, and that kid comes in and plays up to it. Okay, I see it. Twenty seventh, twentieth, twenty second. Mm-hmm. Depending on, so top twenty, top thirty prospect in the country, uh, and like you said, top three, five point guard. I, I just think before, you know, I'm trying to get way out in front of Tennessee fans getting mad because Kennedy Chandler is averaging 16 points and like seven or eight assists a game for a team that's really, uh, I mean, that's really good this year, and draft night comes and he's sliding down draft boards I mean the, the, I mean, it's just the fact of the matter is it's you know basketball is a game for taller guys at that level because you know like it, it's just not especially us it now where it's a lot more back in the 70s and 80s it was the consummate point guard it was the two the, the wings that were good it was a powerful board who a lot of times was just basically there to start a fight. And it was a center who was a lot of times, if you had some of those ingredients, you were typically pretty good. Sometimes you got a little bit of it all, like some of, you know, the thing of your Celtics guy with some of those Mikhail Burt Parish teams where you had the, you know, the uber talented small forward, the, the bruiser of a power forward who could actually score. It was a pretty, I mean, it was obviously a skilled player in Kevin McHale. And then Parrish, who kind of has some of that bruiser mentality as well. The game has changed now, where, um, like, where obviously your 6'11, 7 foot center is only going to be asked to block shots and run the court. Um, you know what I mean? Like, your are 6'11 guys. Imagine Robert Parrish trying to guard Giannis now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Imagine Kevin McHale trying to guard Giannis. Just get that visual in your head. Nathaniel, you and the and the listeners right now, like imagine that, it's it, it's in it's a different game, uh, because I'd also like the visual of um, John Stockton trying to guard Kennedy Chandler, and I think that's just kind of hilarious to me. That's all right, um, but imagine Jeff Hornacek trying to guard Devin Booker, but I mean, but again, we're getting, we're getting way off track. It, it's just such a different game now. And it's unfortunate where they're not going out and they're just looking for the true point guard. Like, I mean, you want to go back, C.J. Watson was like 6'3", 6'2", 6'3". Steph Curry is 6'3". Like, it's not some of these guys, and you see them in the game, and like, God, they look small. But then you realize, I remember telling somebody this a long time ago, and they were like, man, you're tall. And I spent my whole life around basketball players. I played, I've been around it, whatever. And in my mind, I'm not tall. I'm normal tall. But I was when I when I played at Carson Newman, I was the fourth or fifth shortest person on the team. <laughs> and that was D two. Like I, I'm, I never in my life got you know sat on the front row of a team picture. Carson Newman, I did. <laughs> Because the shorter people sit on the front row, the taller people are on the back row. My roommate was 6'11". One of my good friends was 6'10". And I had another dude who was like 6'8", 260. And another guy was like 6'6 six, six and a half. Those are just some of my closest friends on that team. Like, it, it's a different it, it's a different world. And I mean, I'm 6'5 now. So, uh, it stinks. And I hope that I'm wrong about the Kennedy Chandler stuff. And I hope he blows it out. And that goes for like 26 and 12 for the entire season to where NBA teams can't write them off. Because a season like that, you can't write off. I don't care what your size is. I don't. I, I hope he goes for 26 and 12 and leads Tennessee to a national championship because then that's, that will make a lot of people 
have to make some really tough decisions about the draft next year. So I'm looking at some to kind of round at this conversation, and I guess probably in the podcast too. I'm looking at some interesting data here by a site called Run Repeat. They've looked at like the average height of NBA players overall and by position since like the 1940s, where you know when the NBA was first around. And by point guard position, Gene, right now we're in we're in an era uh, where point guards on average are the tallest they've ever been in the league, uh, which it's it's kind of you know some of variances of like a, a tenth to a half an inch for the most part for three years, but the last three years in the NBA, the average point guard height has been basically six two and a half, like it's six two and a half in 2019, and then six two point four um, in 2020 and 2021. So like y- y- you've had point guard height average since 2014 has been basically six foot two every year since 2014. That's the basically we're we're in an era where point guards are on average taller than they've ever been in the NBA. Um, so they, that, that's a good point. I mean, we, we, you have the, you have the outliers, obviously with averages, you have outliers in both directions, but six, two and a half, like that's, <laughs> that's a solid two and a half, maybe three inches taller than what Kenny Chandler is just at his position alone. You look at, you know, looking at the, the shooting guard position, you have six, four and a half, small forward is about six, six and a half power forward, six, eight and a half, center is 610 around 611 610 so like that's that's just a significant high difference at his own position and then moving forward to the other position so i think i mean you make great points and i and i i hope you're wrong and i i hope i'm wrong to an extent because i i think he's i think he'll have an nba career and i think he'll stick around i just don't know that's going to be like a a prolific nba he's not i don't think he's going to compare to you know looking back at some of the great sense he's had in the NBA, like Bernard King and Dell Ellis uh, and Allen Houston. I don't think he's going to have any of those, or Tobias Harris, actually, if you don't throw him in there, or even, I don't think he's even going to have like a, a Josh Richardson type of NBA career. I think he's going to have a, a good one, but not one that you're going to, you know, it's not going to be the most memorable NBA career ever, but I, I would, I'd like to be wrong. I hope he goes out and, you know, wins the Bob Cousy award or something like that for the, for the falls this year and then goes on and, is an NBA all-star, but I think that was interesting. Gene, can you guess what the average height was for an NBA center back in the late 1940s? 6'8"? Uh, in 1949, it was 6'8", but I'm looking at the 47 and 48 seasons. It was basically 6'7". In 1947, 1948 was the average height of an NBA center. I want to say that was right before George Mikan. I think he kind of change some of that math a little bit. I don't remember. Um, the, the first time, according to this run repeat data, the first time you had the average NBA center be six foot ten was 1962. So, it's just interesting looking at it, kind of the, the way things have changed with the game. It, there's not, like I said, there's not like a huge variance in the height data year to year and whatnot, but it's just interesting seeing, especially the point guard position where you didn't get the average of a, a six foot two. There was an outlier in 1958 where it was six foot two, but like you didn't consistently start getting six foot two as the average point guard height until you got into the the 80s, and then it dropped off in the 90s, and then now back into the uh, here where we are now, like in the, in the late kind of 2010s or yeah, late 2010s and now where six foot two is the norm for a point guard. So that's just interesting. That that's all kind of getting to the nitty gritty of all that different stuff. Again, that's not gonna doesn't account for skill level and whatnot either, but yeah, I, I I think it's it's intriguing to kind of look at this roster and then see how many NBA potential NBA guys are on this team. When you look back at, we've talked about this, I don't know how many times on this podcast, Gene, of the fact that UT has not been an NBA, you know, factory over the years, and they, they've had it's it, they've had some really good ones. You've had Bernard Kings, you've had Dell Ellis, you've had Allen Houston. Um, even way back in the day, Doug Roth was a good player in the NBA for a long time with the Bulls. Um, you, you, Tobias Harris has been around for a while and, and has been an all-star. I, I want to say he's got a max contract deal. So, like, Tennessee's had some good players, but you, you've hit on some good guys there, but you've, you've also just not produced a ton of quality NBA players or guys who have lived up to the hype um, at the NBA level. So it'll be interesting to see this year who gets drafted next year gets drafted but Tennessee consistently keeps putting more and more guys in the league that's good up your chances of getting some of those stars in the league and it's also gonna again as we've mentioned before it's good to up your profile with these recruits and it's gonna keep giving you shots at landing these big time four and five star recruits and, and guys who are going to be future NBA players and guys who could help you win games and win titles here at the college level as well but 
Uh, Gene, I think that's where we'll end this podcast. I think we can maybe do the similar thing with Lady Vols um, roster as well, but I think that's that'd be interesting to kind of think about because obviously I, mean, I think Ray Varel is, is for sure a WNBA player. I think as long as she keeps her term was cut down, I think Jordan Horston is too and and Tamari Key probably, but I think it'd be a, an interesting thing, a conversation to have at a, a, a podcast next week, Gene, about the Lady Vols side of things of who in that roster could be playing in the WNBA here in the next couple of years, but I think they'll be where we end this episode. We've already talked for, I think, close to an hour, if I've, my math's correctly here or correct here on the uh, recording. But I do want to thank all of you for tuning in for this episode. It was a quick hour here uh, talking. It, it didn't feel like I looked down. I was like, oh, I should probably end this podcast here soon. But do appreciate all of you tuning in. If this is your first time here, thank you so much. If this is not your first time, if this is your return visit, appreciate you coming back for more. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Follow us on Twitter at VolHoopsFever. Give us a like on Facebook, Vol Basketball Fever. And a big thank you to Gene for joining me again this week. Season is almost here. Very excited. Probably going to do some things on social media. So be on the lookout for that in terms of getting you ready for the season. Look at every player on the roster. Look at uh, just some different stuff to kind of get you excited. We'll obviously have a roundup of where Tennessee is appearing in the polls and stuff as those come out. And we'll have the SEC Media Day, I guess, here somewhat soon as well. So that's going to be exciting to see what uh, Tennessee has picked. And Gene will obviously dissect the heck out of that like we always do and you know give our 100% patent proof go you know go bet all your money on it picks for the season for us and where we think Tennessee is going to end up and everything so we, we are never wrong about that never have been and never will be so we'll give you all that here as that comes out here in the next couple weeks but signing off for Gene I'm Nathaniel once again this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 